What's going on, Valley Christian Church? It's great to see you guys. I am Stephen Francis, filling in for Dr. Greg as we finish our series, America. I hope you guys have enjoyed this series so far. I know I have. And I believe that this series wasn't just enjoyable, but it's also extremely timely when you look at everything that's going on in our country. And as we are approaching probably one of what is going to be considered the most divisive elections of America's history. And I believe that today's message will not only prepare us for going into the election year, but will also help us as Christians living today in America. But before we get into any content today, I actually want to ask uh, you guys to participate in a little bit of a game with me, okay? I want to be sure everybody in here is energized and alive and awake with me. Real quick, if you're alive, can you just make some noise in here real quick? Let me know that I'm... Awesome. Awesome. So this is what we're going to do. Many of you guys have known the game Name That Logo, okay? What, you ha what happens is you see a logo and you... Uh, figure out what brand that logo is from. So we're going to do a little bit of a version of that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you a logo. And when I show you this logo, I want you to either cheer, say yay, clap your hands, let me know whether you like this logo or this brand or not. If you, if you don't like it, you can boo and you could be as like aggressive as you want. You can put your thumbs down, get crazy about it. Or if you're kind of on the fence, you don't really know, you don't really care, just give me a eh, I don't know. I'm not sure about it. It's weird. I'm not, I don't know. But either way, everybody do this with me, okay? Turn your neighbor and say, do it or it's going to be awkward, all right? All right, here we go. All right, ready. Remember, when you see it, if you like the brand, cheer. If you don't, boo. If you don't care, eh, all right? First one, show the first logo. I'm with you. I really like this brand. However, they took the headphone jack away from me, so I'm really struggling right now. Keep me in prayer. All right, what's the next logo? Let's see the next logo. All right. <laughs> we got a few people. A lot of booze, I understand. All right, how about this next logo? All right, awesome. On the fence there. Some like it, some don't. Okay. How about this next one? Let's see what you think. That is exactly the right answer when you see the Dallas Cowboys, all right? In, no, in all ways, shapes, or form. Where's my father-in-law at? I wish he was here to see that. All right, how about we do one more? You guys ready for one more? All right, let's do one more. I agree. I love this image because this image to me and many of you is a reminder of love, of forgiveness and of hope. But the truth is, outside of these walls, in our communities, in the culture that we live in, there are people that hate this image. Maybe not hate the image, but hate the people that say they represent what this image is about. And today's message is going to help us get an understanding as to why we are dealing with this issue and how we can fix it. And this message that I'm calling today, separation of church and hate. 
Today's message is going to be coming from Matthew chapter 5, but before we talk about Matthew chapter 5, it's kind of important that I give you guys some context into what's happening in this passage. In this passage, we see Jesus about to do his sermon on the mount, but before we even do that, it's important for you to understand that Jesus, when he was born, lived, and did his ministry, was living in Israel when it was occupied by the Roman Empire. There were people that were dealing with brutality because of the Roman government. There was high taxes on the people of Israel because of that. But they didn't just have issues in government. They also had issues with things going on in their society socially. There were race issues. There was women equality issues. There was issues with things like who should get health care and even the rich and the poor. And why is it fair for the poor to have so little? Many of the things that we deal with today was in the same way or maybe even at a higher magnitude of desperation during the times of Israel when Jesus showed up. So when Jesus shows up as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, people are looking for Jesus first to deliver them from the oppression of Rome, but they're also looking for Jesus to give him some answers about how to handle these issues, how they're supposed to behave in these particular situations. And Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that's considered his most famous one in all of the Bible, he decides to address this issue. And he says that this is the way that we should handle it, starting at verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5. And it reads like this. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Now, we got to take some time to look at this passage a little bit exegetically. What does Jesus mean when he says that we are salt and light? In that time period, salt and, uh, excuse me, salt and light were of high value. First, salt. Salt was used for many different things. Salt was used as a preservative because they didn't have fridges back then, so you use salt to preserve the meat. Salt was used for seasoning and flavoring the same way that we use it today. Salt was even used as a currency. It was a way for people to make trades in order to get goods. And light was also very important because there was no electricity back then. Once the sun went down in those days of Israel, it was pitch black wherever you went. So having light was important because that was your way of moving around and being able to do, uh, be productive. When you look at salt and light, the things that these two elements have in common is that they are both things known for their influence. Salt and light makes everything better. So when Jesus says that we're supposed to be the salt and light of the earth, we were here so that we can make things better. 
And the way that we make things better is through how we live out the gospel. The gospel for anybody in here that doesn't know is the good news that God created the heavens and the earth, but man, uh, he created the heavens and the earth, man and woman, and everything was good at first, but then uh, man sinned. And because of that, there was a separation between God and man that could not be fixed unless it was a necessary sacrifice. And Jesus, who was God, came down in the form of flesh, came, lived, died, and rose again on the third day with all power and all authority in his hands and was able to build the bridge between us and God again so that whoever believes in him will be able to have eternal life. The good news is that because of Jesus, our lives are eternally better. And because our lives are eternally better, we live a better life even now here on this earth. But the question then is, if we're supposed to be making things better through the power of the gospel, why is it that the culture seems to not want us around? If we're supposed to be the people that help make things progress, why do we seem to be the thing that's going against progression to the rest of the world? I think that there's four reasons why this happens. The first reason is that we've confused morals of culture with morals of godly conviction. See, if you are a Christian here today, it means that you have made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and that everything that you do is out of his goodness and willingness. And there are things that you won't do. There are morals and values that you hold because of your relationship with Jesus. And what's so unique about being a Christian in the United States of America is that we had these values uh, and morals that were the same as the cultures at one point because the culture was also found on biblical principles. But since the culture, many people in the culture do not have this relationship with Jesus Christ like we do, they've moved on to different values and morals. And we still having these values and morals keep trying to get people to come back to those values and morals that we have as Christians. But the problem is they don't know Jesus. And since they don't know Jesus, there is no reason for them to want to come back. Matter of fact, us trying to say that we need to go back to these uh, certain rules and regulations only comes across as legalistic. It reminds me of something that happened to me when I was younger. Uh, I don't think this is very unique to me. I think a lot of fellas can resonate with this, and there's probably a female version of this as well. I just haven't heard it yet. But when I was about 11 or 12 years old, I dealt with a very particular issue, and that was this, that I smelled awful. I was so musty as a tween in my earlier years and that was because you know my I was getting older my body was changing I was becoming an adult and I wasn't introduced to deodorant yet but the thing was I was so musty sometimes that my parents made it a rule in our house that I was not allowed to go outside unless I put deodorant on first because nothing is worse than going outside, playing with your friends, coming inside. Now I smell like outside on top of musty. No one can survive under that type of smell. And I remember my parents made that rule and I was so upset. I was like, I can't believe you guys. You guys just want to ruin my life. I don't like putting deodorant on. It stings sometimes. It messes up my shirt. Besides, I don't think I smell that bad. Anyway, you guys are just haters. I want to move out. 
But I'll never forget this particular day. Uh, it was a Sunday. My parents brought me to church, and I was sitting in Sunday school. The church that I went to had Sunday school for the youth. And I was sitting in Sunday school, and a few rows up from me was this girl that I had my first crush on. This was the girl that made me realize that girls do not have cooties, and I should be doing whatever is in my interest to get their attention. And I remember sitting there, and this guy comes into the room, and this other boy that was about my age, his name was Alex. I'll never forget his name because I'll never forget what happened. He came in, and he said hi to the girl that I had a crush on, and then he went to the back of the class, and he sat down. And the girl leaned over to her friend that she was sitting next to, and she said, oh, my goodness, he smells so good. And I was sitting in my seat like, what? what I gotta do as flies swarmed around me because I wouldn't wear deodorant I went home that day and I didn't just put on deodorant religiously I was begging my parents for axe body spray I was going behind my dad's back trying to put on some of his cologne I went from smelling bad because I wouldn't put on deodorant to selling smoke so potent because of the cologne I had people were getting asthma attacks like it was awful but here's the whole point of why I bring up that story because at first I thought that they were trying to take away my liberties. I thought my parents were trying to go against my individuality, my identity, or whatever I thought was the problem. But in reality, they weren't trying to take away something. They were actually trying to show me something better. And the problem is many of us as Christians, whether it's through Facebook or through uh, protests or through just constant conversations with other people, we love to condemn people because they don't change to the way that we want them to change. But we haven't introduced them to something better. We haven't introduced them to Jesus Christ. So, of course, they don't want to follow what we believe. But that's only the first thing. The second thing is this that we believe more in the power of politics instead of the power of Christ. We bought heavily into the idea that if we want to see a more Christian nation, that we need to have more Christian policies. And please don't get me wrong. Hear what I'm saying. I believe that we should have proper policies and we should have proper legislation. But let's also be honest. Policies have never changed people. It doesn't matter if the speed limit is 55, 65, or 70. Everybody is going to try to drive over the speed limit in the hopes that they don't get caught. One of the ways I think this shows so brilliantly is when we had the Prohibition era here in our country. For You guys remember the Prohibition era. It was the time in our nation's history when we said, you know what, no more alcohol. We're not going to do it. It's the work of the devil. Like we're going we're, we're, we're to make it illegal for people to drink alcohol. And that Prohibition era proved to be a joke. Prohibition didn't stop people from drinking alcohol. It just made a lot of bootleggers really rich. We could wake up tomorrow to a country that has stricter laws on abortion and gun and drug laws and gender roles. But even if we woke up to a country that had those things that we keep trying to fight for, we would still have to deal with the godlessness that's dealing in our nation. And if I could be frank, a lot of these things that many times we as Christians are trying to fight and overturn aren't going to go away. 
So if we really want to see a change in the abortion rate, it's not going to come from the Oval Office. It's going to come from what we do in our homes. It's going to come from what we do at the church. It's going to come from what we do in our community. That is the way that we make things better as a people. But until then, we're just going to keep going to the politicians, hoping that they'll make a change, hoping that eventually we'll vote for the political party that has represents our issues and hope that eventually maybe they'll change those things. But the third thing is this, that we use harsh words with no healing of the gospel. I'll be honest, guys, this affected me very deeply this past week. One of the big divisive things that we're dealing with in our country is the police brutality against black people. And this affects me as a, as a black man and constantly hearing about these shootings that are happening and whether they were justified or not many times just has me on the fence and one of the things that bothers me so much as well as every time I go on Facebook I go on social media or I hear about it in conversations everything is just so unloving and unkind and it, it, it's clear that on both sides of the issue love is not prevailing but what hit me so hard this week was when I heard that a man in Charlotte was shot and killed for unneeded reasons by a police officer. And first I was brokenhearted and I was upset for this man that had been killed, this man that had daughters, this man that was a part of his community being killed. But then I also got a text message from a friend and he said, did you see the police officer that shot him. I went on the internet and I looked at this police officer that shot this man and I realized that I know him. I realized that it was my friend Brent, the man that I went to college with, the man I had meals with, the man that we lived on the same area of campus for about a year and a half, graduated together in 2012. And the opposing, ambiguous force that was on the other side of the argument now had a face of someone I cared for. And I remember sitting in my chair, realizing that this person that I cared for killed also someone that is considered innocent, someone that is causing protest all over. Charlotte is a war zone right now. Wondering how do I how do I channel this? How do I analyze this? How do I deal with this? And I felt God speak to me in that moment as I was conflicted and he said these words Do you know that this is how I feel every day? I don't see people as these and as those and as Democrat and Republican as liberal and as capitalist. No, I know everyone by name and I care for them. And it's so easy for us that when we don't see people for who they are, we just see them for who they stand for, for who they vote for, for what their sexual identity is. It's so easy for us to dehumanize them and for us to say whatever we want to say and treat them however we want to be treated. The fourth thing 
is that we have unstable standards. The number one complaint of our Christians in our culture is that we're hypocrites. But I believe the problem is even worse than that. Many of us keep inviting Jesus into the conversation of how people should live their lives and create loopholes for the ways that we live our lives. We'll tell one couple that you shouldn't be having sex outside of marriage only for us to go home and, have, and watch pornography behind closed doors. We'll tell one group of people that they aren't allowed to get married because of what Jesus said, yet we're allowed to get divorced and remarried as much as we want. And hear what I'm saying? I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I know a lot of people have had that happen in their life. I'm not trying to condemn you, but please hear what I'm trying to say. Is that many of us continue to judge others on the rule system that we ourselves cannot keep up. And when we look at Jesus, when they ask Jesus, Jesus, can you tell us what your stance on marriage is? Jesus' answer to them was so high. The standard was raised so high. That literal answer from the people that heard him answer this question was like, Jesus, if that's the case for someone to be married, then maybe it's just better that no one gets married. And I think Jesus was trying to communicate something, and I think we miss that so often. Everywhere that Jesus went, Jesus' message was always to raise the standards of morality. He would always say, I know you heard to be good, it would have, you would have to do this, but I tell you, if you really want to be good, you would actually have to do that. Everything that he did was always a raising of the standard. And his point of raising the standard was this, so that we could realize that no one can hold up to that level of standards. So we could say to ourselves that if this is how it's supposed to be, to be a good person, to be considered righteous, we are all in trouble. And if we are all in trouble, then we are certainly in need of a Savior who can deliver us. And that's why Jesus came. That was Jesus' whole point in coming, to let us know that there was none righteous, no, not one. And that if we trusted in him, he was the goodness, he was the faithfulness, he was what we needed in order to live a better life. But as long as we continue to communicate that you need to be good by meeting this level of criteria, and as long as we ourselves cannot match that level of criteria and the rest of the world sees that we can't match it, we continue to lose the culture and we continue to become less and less relevant to each and every person we're around. So the question is, how do we fix it? How do we make it better? How do we be the salt and light that Jesus commanded us to be? I think there's three ways that we do that. The first way is this. You got to create credibility. Verse Galatians chapter 22 verse 23 reads like this. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now I want you guys just to imagine with me this for a sec. A recent article said that there are over 320,000 Christian churches in the United States of America. 320,000. 
thousand. And what if for six months, maybe not even six months, maybe just three months, what if for just three months, every person that attended that church decided to be known for how much love they had, for how much joy they showed, for how much peace they offered? What do you think the country would look like in three months if we as a church body committed to just these things? And what I love about this as well is this last sentence where it says, against such things there is no law. What is being said here is that there is no law against these things. It's not illegal to be loving. It's not illegal to be joyful or peaceful. So how much more should we lean into that? You're never going to be too joyful that someone's like, hey, hey, man, you got to calm down. You're being too happy right now. I'm never going to be too faithful where my wife goes up to me and is like, hey, listen, you're being way too faithful right now. You need to calm down, back up, give me some space. You're way too faithful. That conversation would never happen. And if we leaned into this, if the world knew us more for these things instead of the other things that I mentioned before, the change that we could make in our culture would be unquantifiable. And the more that we show these things also, the more credible we become when we do decide to speak into people's lives. This is what Jesus did all the time. Jesus spent so much time looking into being kind, being loving, being joyful to the people that were around him so that when he spoke wisdom into their life, they were willing to listen. You know, for some of you guys don't know this about me, but I'm actually very big on fashion. I love fashion. I get GQ magazine every month, and every time I can afford it, when budget allows, I like to go out and find some nice, cool stuff. But I'll be honest with you. There are certain times when I try to make a nice, cool fashion statement, and my wife realizes that it is not working out. And I will go downstairs ready to hit the streets. And she's like, hey, listen, I love you, but I really think you should go upstairs and change. I really think you should consider a different outfit. You got to walk around with me out there. You got to say you're a pastor of Valley Christian Church. You can't be looking crazy like this. And because my wife has the credibility where I know that she loves me, I know that she has my best interests, I know that she knows that I enjoy fashion, I can trust it. I can listen to her and I'll go upstairs and I'll find something else. But if I'm walking down the street and some dude is like, hey, bro, you need to go home and change, man. You can't be out here looking like that. You looking crazy. I promise you my reaction to him will not be the same as my wife. In my opinion, he's not trying to look out for my best interests. He's just being a hater. Yet how often has we as a Christian body so many times made ourselves look like haters because we decided to speak into people's lives and we didn't even have the credibility of being loving or joyful or kind towards them. So we need to create credibility. The second thing that we need to do is we need to not take sides, but we need to take over. Jesus did this brilliantly well. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he had no problem being at the temple with the Pharisees all day, only for him to go have dinner with the prostitutes and thieves. He was never scared to be guilty by association. 
Because his goal was not coming to a particular side and proclaiming how people were supposed to behave or whatever. He came so that whatever walk of life you're in, he could make it better. He could bring unity and love and the peace that someone might have been lacking. So I want you to think about for your own self, who are the people that you constantly hang around? Who are the people that you constantly talk to? Because if they all have the same belief system as you, if, you, if they all have the same economic status, if they all have the same look as you, then we are not being salt and light in this world. You ever try to eat something that's too salty? It's disgusting. You ever been somewhere where the light was just too strong? It's overbearing. It's blinding. The purpose of being salt and light is we're supposed to be something that is scattered, something that spreads to each and every part of the world, to each and every person we come in contact with. You know, before I, be, uh, I came, became a pastor here at Valley Christian Church, I was at a church in Atlanta, a really great church in Atlanta, loved it. I actually got to visit it last week. And I remember uh, my last week there, before I came up here to become a pastor, I met with one of my mentors and I asked him this question. I was like, hey, listen, what's the best piece of advice that you would give to me as a new pastor? And my mentor said this. He would say that we are not, that you are not supposed to be just a pastor of Valley Christian Church, but be a pastor of the Starbucks you get your coffee from. Be the pastor of the gym that you work out at. Be the pastor of the stores that you shop in. Do not let your ministry begin and end in a building. And I thought that was great advice for me as a pastor, but I believe that's great advice for each and every person in here as a Christian. God has called us to be salt and light. And what good is it being salt and light if we're all just here together already? There are people out there that need to know it. There are people out there that need to have better lives, that need to feel the influence that comes from the power of Jesus Christ, from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the third thing that we need to change is we need to have shrewdness with silence. You know, one of the key qualities I love about Jesus is that Jesus did not always answer every person's question. There were so many times when the Pharisees would try to be like, hey, Jesus, let me ask you a question real quick. And Jesus was like, no, bro, not today. I know how you do. One particular incident comes to mind. Jesus was one time teaching in a temple. And while he was teaching in the temple, the Pharisees come and they bring this woman that has been caught in adultery. I don't know how they caught this woman. I don't know why they didn't bring the man that should have been with her that was also caught in adultery. You need two to do that. But either way, they bring this woman caught in adultery. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, this woman has been caught in adultery. The word of God says that she is supposed to be stoned for her actions. What do you say? Now, keep in mind, Jesus believed everything the Pharisees believed. Whatever the word of God says is not only what Jesus believed, he was the word. He wrote it. So they come to him and say, your word says that we are supposed to stone this woman. What do you say we do? And Jesus, in this moment, looks down and starts playing in the sand. I feel like if this were to happen in 2016, it would have been the equivalent of they said, Jesus, should we stone this woman or not? And Jesus decided to pick up his phone and text people. 
But eventually Jesus lifts up his head and he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And keep in mind something about this because Jesus says that and Jesus is still the person that can throw judgment on this woman. He is without sin. He would have been fully justified in judging this woman in front of all of these people. But instead of judging her publicly, he waits to have a private conversation with her. The Pharisees realize that they're not eligible to stone this woman, so they all leave. And Jesus, when it's just him and her, says, where are the people that accused you? She says, they're not here. They left. Jesus' response was, I don't accuse you either. Now go and live a better life. Sometimes it's so easy when we get charged up about some political stance or some particular issue that maybe rubs us the wrong way biblically to just go on Facebook and spew whatever it is that we're feeling. It's so easy sometimes for us to come up here and just to just preach and, uh, and get people on our side about whatever the issue is, but sometimes there's no healing in that. Sometimes the most loving thing that you can do is finding someone one-on-one -on -one and showing that you love them and speaking into their lives that way. Jesus did this. And through that, he was able to change the world. So my time is up today, but I want to ask this question. Do you want to see America great? When Jesus showed up, he didn't show up with resources and funding and try to make some campaign. Jesus didn't show up trying to win an election or overthrow the current government. Jesus showed up and he loved people. He did what God had called him to do. And from one man, one miraculous, godly man, not only did he change the culture that he was in, but we are in here today as the ripple effect still of the power of Jesus Christ. And the same power that Jesus had that turned over a culture is the same power that he's given us to be an influence to the people in our community. My prayer today is that we live to be the salt and light that he has called us to be. Because whoever wins the election come November, God is still on the throne. And it's him that we serve. It's him that we live for. It's him that we will constantly show love and grace to other people in the hopes that they too may see the power of Jesus for themselves. Let me pray for you guys today. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that no matter what mistakes we've made, no matter how uh, far we've come, Lord Jesus, Lord, there was nothing that separated us from the love of you. And Jesus, I thank you for this love that we have received in here. And I pray that if there is someone in here that has not received your love, that has not decided to live for you, I pray that today be the day where you change their hearts so that they can accept you as Lord and Savior. But I pray for each and every person in here that is a Christian, that is a believer, that you use us to be the salt and light that you've commanded us to be. That you use us to see a change in this world for us to reach out to our neighbors, for us to reach out to our co-workers, for us to reach out to our relatives. 
and to be the salt and light lord jesus that you've commanded us and father through that we may see a change in our nation we may see a change in our culture all to the glory and the power of your name so father we thank you again for what you've done now empower us to be images of the same in jesus mighty name